Morning, everybody. My name is Dan Meyer. Thank you. Thank you, Bonnie, welcoming me back. Yeah, I was on vacation for a couple weeks with family. Went for a long drive. We drove to Maine and then, uh, and then came back, 3,100 miles. Awesome. It was a lot of fun. So, but yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm Dan Meyer or, uh, or Daniel Meyer or, or Daniel Bear or Danny or Slim or Tree. All of, these, all of these different ways that I've been referred to um, in my life, others that I can't mention. Um, maybe, anybody have a nickname, nicknames in the room that you can say here? Okay, I know, I know the way nicknames work. Sometimes you can't repeat them. Um, anybody have a nickname? What's your nickname, Jackie? Sharumba. Okay. I want to hear that story later. Uh, anybody else nicknames? Boulder. Boulder. Pastor Mark, Boulder. Okay, there you go. So uh, I know Elizabeth Wilkes and her family, like, they all go by these nicknames. She's Bobo, you know, and, and they all have these little, these little things. Uh, we're looking at Barnabas today. And Barnabas um, was actually the guy's nickname. His name wasn't Barnabas. His name was Joseph. But they called him Barnabas, this nickname, because it, it was, it was a, a picture of, of who he was, a picture of his character. You know, sometimes nicknames end up like that. Sometimes they just go with height, tree. You know, um, okay, not a whole lot of creativity there, you know, um, but nevertheless, when, when I was first being called tree, it stuck, you know, um, and it didn't help that I was an electrician and constantly having my hands in the air, just kind of moving all around like this and be like, you're just like a tree, you know. Barnabas means uh, the son of encouragement, son of encouragement. It was a, it was a commentary on his character. I don't know what Sharumba says or Boulder says, you know, or Bobo says um, or what Tree says, but, but Barnabas was a son of encouragement. It was a comment, commentary on his character. It, it, was, it was something that went beyond maybe just a physical aspect, but it went in deeply into in part of his spiritual calling into, into who he was in the world and how he acted out, how he lived that out. We're in this journey called Gallery 13 as we're just looking at these different portraits of discipleship. Now here at E3, what we call discipleship is pathways. You probably heard that. Maybe you've stopped by the Pathways booth. Or maybe you've you've heard about the discipleship track and and walking the pathways of discipleship. But pathways just simply exists, whether it's E3 kids or whether it's nursery or whether it's a teaching, whether it's a stage class or an equipped class like what Pastor Eric is teaching with the inductive Bible study. All of these different pathways, growth groups, all these pathways simply exist to be able to connect what God is doing in the world with what we are doing in the world. Because if what God is doing in the world is different from what we're doing in the world, somebody's got it wrong. If we say that we're following God, but what God is doing in the world is, is, is different than what I'm doing in the world, then am I really following? It's a question I have to ask myself in the, in the process of discipleship, in the process of, of, of growing and being refined. And so as we look at, at these different people, you know, uh, as we look at, at John or, or John the Baptist or, or as we look at Priscilla and Aquila and all of these wonderful examples, you know, we're going we're gonna to learn. And as we look at Barnabas today, we're going to focus in on these questions of, of what we're doing and the question of what our calling is. Now, when I was growing up, I remember being asked that famous question. You probably, you probably have been asked it, you know, what are you going to be when you grow up? What are you going to be when you grow up? What's your answer? Uh, 
What were you going to be? A what? Nothing? Lofty aspirations, Jackie. Okay. What were you going to be? An artist. I heard an artist. What? Dolphin trainer. Wow, how'd that pan out? No, no, not... Professional football player, all right? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Anybody else? Astronaut. Yeah, yeah. You grew, you grew up in the age where that was, that was the big thing. Yeah, wonderful. We want to be, well, for me, for, for seventh grade Daniel, because that's what I went by back then in seventh grade, it was a, it was a no-brainer. It's going to be an architect. That was it. I'm an architect. I love, I love to draw. I love to draft. I love to design. And that was as far as I could see. And so for the next two years, over seventh and eighth grade, that was it. That's what I invested in. I took shop, and I took drafting classes, and, and, and I just really enjoyed it. And then all of a sudden, I kind of um, came to the realization that a vocation was a little bit more than just simply like following a passion or following a gifting. A vocation was a little bit more than just kind of pulling something out of the hat that you seemed um, endeared to or wired up for. It wasn't just a desire. It wasn't just a feeling. There had to be something more to it. There's work that had to be done. There's momentum that had to be built. There's skills that had to be learned, you know? And sometimes, no matter how much effort you put in, you know, as much as Jamie wanted to be a professional football player, you know, size, height, mass was going to get in his way. <laughs> he's an amazing athlete still, you know? He's an Iron Man. Nobody else in this room probably is, is, is the kind of athlete that he is. And yet, he didn't, he didn't just kind of snatch this vocation out of the air and become it. There was, there was something else. Something else that, that maybe physical limitation helped dictate, or maybe God's calling on his life helped dictate, or maybe marriage could help dictate. All of these kinds of things. There's several things that started to change over the course of the next several years as I kind of went through seventh and eighth grade, because, you know, in those formative years, what you start getting is you start getting the input of parents and, and the input of teachers. You start getting the results of, of tests, right? You get the social interaction with peers, and all of a sudden, definition, definition takes place. And all of a sudden, there was this shift in the conversation because when I was very young, just like all of you, we started asking, we were asked the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? But then all of a sudden, it started changing to what are you going to do? Oh, you know this. You've experienced this too. But there's something very different between these two things, right? There's something di very different between what do you want to be and what are you going to do? And those questions have different motives. And sometimes, somewhere along the line, we, we often trade what we want to be and who we really feel we are for some other version of doing. It's a really common first question, you know, so what do you do? You ever hang out, you go, you, go to a, you go to a party, you're at a social gathering, maybe you're just at a Connect City event here at church, and you're getting to know somebody, and the first question, you know, after what's your name is, so what do you What do you do? I always hope that the next two words are going to come are for fun. What do you do for fun? That's what I always hope. I'm, I'm hoping that's where they're going to go because there's something weird. Well, not necessarily around here. Hey, what do you do? You don't know. You haven't been around here. You don't know what I do, you know. But, 
But when I'm out there in the world, when I'm hanging out at, at my buddy's tattoo parlor and someone asks, hey, what do you do? I know that as soon as I say I'm, I'm a vocational pastor, there's going to be a difference. There's going to be something that switches. There's going to be a change. And I'm always blessed when there isn't. I'm always blessed when somebody just continues as if the conversation had nothing abrupt happen in it, and they just continue being themselves. I love that. And that most often happens, actually, at the tattoo parlor. I don't have any tattoos. Maybe it's a weird place for me to hang out, just hanging out with my friend. But it's one of those things that, you know, when we start asking these questions, you know, I'll, I'll, get, the, I'll get people, you know, I've had a, a kind of abrasive interactions. Oh, you're a pastor. And all of a sudden, this nice person just turns into my enemy, my, my attacker, you know? Or maybe they just become, try to become a provoker. They've been very cordial, very nice, and all of a sudden, you know, the potty mouth just starts flowing. They're trying to see if they can get a reaction. I don't give them one. Just be yourself. I'm not going to be limited by who you are. Just be yourself. That's okay. Some people, you know, they, they take it as an open door to start telling me how wonderful they are and how, uh, how active they are in their church, you know, trying to, like, let me know that they're a good person too, you know. Um, and then some people want to take the opportunity to tell me what a good person I am because I'm a pastor. And I, some people are just, they're missing it. We can compare, we can contrast, or more focused on, on what we're doing than what we're being, blah, blah, blah. But so what do you do? If we study some, um, some statistics, if we study some culture, some things that are going on in the world around us, if we study meaning and purpose, there's been these different research projects that have come out. Barna, uh, one of their studies says that three-fourths, 75%, of US, U.S. adults say that they are looking for ways to live a more meaningful life. 75% of us don't think we have enough meaning in our life. What defines meaning? What defines purpose? Is it the doing or is it, is it the being? It can be found in career. It can be found in, inside the walls of your church or your family. It could be it can be found um, in your hobbies, it, but, it, but it really comes down to sometimes it can be work choices, sometimes it can be play choices. When we incorporate our faith in God into this idea of meaning, it starts sounding a little bit like this. What does God want me to do with my life? What does God want me to do with my life? Not what am I going to be when I grow up, or what do you do for a living, or what do you want to do, but, but who has God created me to be? How is what I'm doing in the world going to align with what God is doing in the world? Well, according to Barna, over 40% of practicing Christians say that they have a clear sense of God's calling on our life. So even though 75% of us are kind of looking for more meaning, about 40% of us already know where to look. Hey, let's, let's head in that, in that direction. But the, the caveat there was practicing Christians, right? People that are active in their faith. Not the people that, that, I'm not trying to bash anyone here, but just bluntly, not the people that, that think that church is irrelevant, but the people that say it is valuable to, uh, for my time to show up to a place 
with other people like-minded who are on mission with God, who are trying to intentionally grow in their faith, and once a month is just not going to do it, or or twice a month is just not going to do it, if I eat once a month, I'm going to starve to death. If I, don't, if I don't have regular interaction, I would even say for me personally, I can tell you once a week is not enough. Whether I'm out there or whether I'm up here, once a week is just not going to cut it for me. That's why I have to have a growth group, and that's why I have to have you know, devotions with my family, and that's why I have to have time spent alone with God. Otherwise, I feel like I'm just starving. God, I need more of you. God, I want more of you. God, I want to know what you're doing in the world. We have that quest, that desire, that passion. We're pursuing what God is doing. And then for some of us in the room, you know, we've got a lot of different age groups here. We've got the, the age groups that, that want to be astronauts when they grow up and do that for like your, like your grandparents or your great-parents did, grandparents did for, for 20 or 30 or 40 years at a vocation. But then we have other people in the room, the millennials, right? You know, the people born between 1980 and 2000. And some of you are going, I've got socks older than that, you know. <laughs> but for those millennials, what their expectation is, they kind of look out in this new culture and they look out in this kind of kaleidoscope of, of job opportunities, is they're really, you know, three years tops. Three years tops at, at this area, this job, and then I'm on to the next thing. They look out into the world and it's not a telescope where they're honing in on on one thing that they're going to do for their life. It is a kaleidoscope of colors and and opportunities and things to engage with, creativity and wonder, wanderlust and desire. It's all wrapped around the same things, meaning and purpose, being so how in the midst of this, in the midst of generational changes, in the midst, of, in the midst of, of, of different ages, in the midst of different walks of life, how do we move forward together? And this is what I think the life of Barnabas can really teach us because Barnabas was a man who lived out his calling. It's very important for us to get our jobs right. It's very important for us to, to not get it wrong in 50 say that getting it wrong is a very big fear. Will I make the right decision? 60% say that that we want to make a difference in the world. We really need to get it right in what we're doing. But if what we're doing is not tied to who we are, what we're being as God's people, then we're going to miss out on a big part of this. On another another level for you ladies in the room, there's a lot of conversation that's going on, you know, um, women in the workplace and women at home, and, and where should they be? Is there a place where they should be? These are tensions that our, that our culture has been ripped apart with for the last 40 or 50 years, as if there was some kind of defining place for a woman, as if there was a defining place for a man. It is not about the place, it's not about the environment, it's about being, it's about doing what God has called us to do in the world. And yet in the midst of this, today in our culture, 60% of the women say that they're dissatisfied with that balance between work life and home life. I want to be active in my career and I want to raise my children. I I, I want to do good work in the world and bring forth blessing and and I don't want to give my 13-year-old a key to the house Tell them where the snacks are and that I'll be home in a few hours. I want to be 
with them. These tensions. Women also describe themselves as stressed out, 72%. Tired, 58%. Overcommitted, 48%. And that's not even the ones with kids under the age of 18. All of those areas increase as soon as you add children to the mix, the next generation, the responsibility, the calling of raising up the next generation, of helping them find out who they are, who they were created to be so that we don't make them in our image. Parents, you know this tension. To fulfill your unrealized dreams in them, Jamie, don't make your son a professional football player. Okay? We have those tensions. We have those desires sometimes. Instead of what God has called us to do is to cultivate them and to say, who has God created you to be? I want to help you burst that forth out of you. Help you appreciate and, and affirm that and, and enjoy that. In the midst of all of these tensions, male and female and, and age differences and all of these other, thing, other things, is it any wonder that for us, men and women alike, that when we answer these questions of what we're supposed to do or what we want to be, that we often find ourselves making decisions based on what is easier than the rest of the options or what is less stressful or what is more lucrative. But do these things really define who we are? Do answering the questions that way really bring forth what God has designed us to be? And I remember as I transitioned from high school, there was only one thing that I was very sure of. There was only one thing that I knew, and that was that I was not going to college with all of those people that I just went to high school with. <laughs> that was the only thing that I knew. Architect was a thing of the past. I had no idea because I was not following God, because I was not in tune with, with the Spirit of God. I had no idea what I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. And so when the test results came in and when the recruiters started calling, I remember taking the paperwork to my parents and saying, I'm going to sign up for the Navy. Why? Because I want to let somebody else tell me what to do. Until I can figure out who I am. Well, it wasn't until a couple years later, a few years later, that I really started becoming very dissatisfied because when we're focused in on what we're doing, it leads us down a path of misery. Some of us, we have those hopes, you know, we, we, we've been on a cycle. If we look at our, at our job history, if we look at our career path and we go, you know what, my, my, my job moves has been completely out of discontent. My job moves have been like, I'm always looking for the next one. I'm always looking for the next rung on the ladder. I'm always looking for a better boss. I'm always looking to be the boss. Nobody appreciates me. Nobody listens to me. Nobody values me. Sometimes we find these kinds of things. We find these kinds of tensions going on inside of us. And as I was kind of wrestling with those things, I found that there was that, that difference between what I was doing and who I was. I had focused in on the doing without being, and I was unhappy. And God gives us calling. So what is this thing called calling? What is our calling? What is a, what is a human being's calling? What is a, a follower of Christ's calling? Those should be exactly the same thing. Shouldn't be a difference. Because we're created for a relationship with God. 
So, the, so our path to fulfillment, our, the, the, the fulfillment of our dreams and our hopes and our desires should all be wrapped up in what God is painting in the world, his, his picture of what he wants to, to bring forth. And that calling is God's design for family. It's his plan for the church. It's fulfillment of God being with us. And that simply means to share and to live out the gospel, to serve others, to care for others, to pray for our leaders, to learn, to teach, to encourage, to give, to spend ourselves for God's glory, even to the ultimate end of our death. But how often on a daily basis, when we wake up in the morning, are we going, hey, what am I going to do in the, work, in the world? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to serve. I'm going to care for others. I'm going to pray for my leaders. I'm going I'm to give. I'm going to spend myself for the glory of God. I'm going to be what God has created me to be and not just show up and do the 40-hour death march every week or the 50-hour death march or the 60-hour death march or the 70-hour death march as some of us are doing. These are the tensions. And so as we look at Barnabas, you know, a disciple of Jesus seeks out and assists others. A disciple of Jesus seeks out and assists others. Well, what happens when we get this wrong? What happens when we, when we get it wrong, the, the giving and the serving and the spending ourselves for God, God's glory? And for some of us, we can answer that question simply by saying, well, look at my life. Because that was my story for many years. What happens when I get this wrong? Well, just, just look at the details of my life. Look at my overinvestment in my relationship with someone that is not returning that investment to me. Look at my worship of a, of a female. Look at my investment in, 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 in being a, a worker. Look at me being a great employee and being a workaholic. Look at me trying to achieve and make it in the world, but not getting the reward because I'm just doing and, and not being. Look at me trying to escape reality and, and, and skipping the workaholic and now becoming a partyaholic because, well, hey, guess what? If I, if I can't make all the money that I want and if I can't have the relationships that I want, then I guess I'm just going to have to have all of the fun that I want. I'm going to have to escape it and I'm just going to have to try to get my own comfort. I'm going to have to just try to get my, my own pleasure. That's what happens when we get this wrong, when we... When we don't follow Christ, when we, when we don't seek out and assist others. And some of us, we know what calling is about. Some of you in this room, you are, you are not simply biding your time, waiting to get somewhere else. You're investing. Some of us, you show up at work and, and you aren't despising the place that you work now, but instead you're working faithfully. You're living out the truth that everything that you do, everything that you're working towards, God is really just your employer. You're working for God. Not that person who holds the power over you. Not that manager. You are working as a faithful follower of Christ. Some of you, you, you aren't sowing your wild oats trying to avoid growing up and, and living in the, in the never-never land because you know that, you, that wisdom and grace bring real hope and joy. And you're investing in those things. And some of us are not. 
Maybe it's time for us to move forward. Maybe it's time for us to stop singing that walk-in song, I'm never going to change. Maybe it's, I'm, never gonna, I'm not going to stop being who I am in that sense. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's that time for us to step forward and to say, you know what, I'm going to participate in God's calling. So this guy Barnabas, he kind of sets an example. Barnabas comes on the scene in Acts chapter 4. Now, how many of you have ever heard of, of Barnabas? Okay. How many of you have heard of, of John Mark, Mark, the writer of the Gospel of Mark? Heard of Paul, Saul, most of us. Well, Barnabas was, was this key guy. He comes on the scene in Acts chapter 4. And what we're told is that he's a, he's a Levite. He's a, he's a Jew. He's part of, of, the, of the royal priesthood. He's part of, of God's tribe of people that are called to be spiritual leaders. And he's from the, the island of Cyprus. And he becomes a follower of Christ. And he, becomes, get, he gets plugged into the, to the local church. And as, uh, as, the, as Pentecost comes and, and the Holy Spirit is poured out and the church starts and people are gathering and meeting, Barnabas sees what's going on. And this son of encouragement, the, this guy who, who is, is in love with God and is following after God's calling in his life, follows God's prompting, and he sells a field that he has and he gives all of the money to the local church. This amazing act of generosity. And most of us don't even know that story. We know the copycat story, right? We know the Acts chapter 5 story where Ananias and Sapphira, they do the same thing. You know this one? You know, they do the same thing. They sell the, they sell the, the field and they bring some of the money and they say, hey, here's all of the money that we, that we got from this field, right? And, he goes like, and Peter goes, are, are you sure? Like this was, this was all the money? Oh yeah, this is all the money. But what they'd done is they'd withheld some, right? Well, Ananias came in first, right, and, and had that little interaction, and then he falls down dead. And then three hours later, his wife comes in looking for Ananias, and, and Peter goes, so, so tell me about this field. You, you sold this field. You were being generous, and, and is this all the money? Oh, yeah, this is all the money. Aren't we awesome? Well, you can, you can take up that conversation with God because the guys that, are, that just carried your, your dead husband out are here to carry you out, and then she fell down dead. It says that fear gripped the local church. Let that happen. We just did our big legacy campaign, right? You know, we had the, these conversations, and you know, and and, uh, and Pastor Mark comes. And you, you bring your gift to, to Pastor Mark. Hey, here's here's the money. I want to. Is that all the money that God told you to give? Oh yeah, this is all the money. You know? Oh really? Yeah. Okay. Guess we're just gonna. We're going to see the Holy Spirit. What if that was the kind of calling? That was that kind of passion? What was that kind of fear? A good, godly, healthy, intentional, God-loving fear that said, God knows everything. It is not my goal to make you think that I'm generous. It is my goal to pour out the resources that God has given me to spend them for God's glory and the blessing of his people. There's so much generosity that flowed from the hearts and the minds of people in this community as we had those legacy conversations. We were able to purchase this facility. I was amazed to be able to set a goal of saying, hey, we need at least 150000 and then Pastor Mark being able to say, you know what? What would be really awesome is if we could get to 300000 and then for the community to respond and to exceed even that goal. 
with generosity. It put joy in our hearts. And those celebrations continue because that wasn't a one-time thing. That was a six-month goal, or for some of us, it was a one-year goal. I want to give this month, so I want to be faithful, to be generous, to be able to give what God has called me to give, to be part of the community, to be part of God's calling, to be able to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth by doing my necessary part. Some of us, we don't think we're necessary. Some of us here, we don't even believe that, that we matter. As we sit in this chair, we're doing nothing but, but warming the seat. But God has called out to all of us, and he said, you've been gifted. You've been called. You've been given everything you need for life and godliness. You're not just a seat warmer. You are a necessary part of the kingdom. Well, Barnabas, he gives this gift and then he just kind of, like, kind of like life goes on. He's just faithful. He's just doing his thing. Acts chapter 11 gives us a little bit of commentary on, on who he was. It says, Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. Barnabas responded to this prompting of, of God to give this, gener this generous gift. And in the midst of that, as he starts answering the call of God, he begins to cultivate his gifts. And all of these things start, start coming out in him. He's described as an evangelizing apostle, a church leader, a model of integrity and character. He's described as a prophet and a teacher, a speaker of truth and an explainer of truth, and one through whom God worked miracles. Now, the background story for, for Barnabas is that he just kind of stayed in the background. He was an encourager. Yeah, that was one of the main parts. But he was also a champion of others. Barnabas didn't need to be on the, on the center mic. He was fine with, with being backstage. He was, a, he was the kind of guy who, who looked out into the world around him. He looked out into the church around him. He looked within the relationships that God had entrusted to him. And he saw people's potential. One of those people was, was Paul. Paul was the crazy guy. Paul was, was Saul, the guy who was so zealous that he went out and persecuted the church. Now, in, in Barnabas' background, Barnabas was actually, according to Jew, Jewish tradition, taught and was a student of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was the same teacher that Paul had, that Saul had. Maybe even known each other, contemporaries, students, classmates. And somewhere along the line, according to Jewish tradition, as Barnabas walks with Jesus, because according to Jewish tradition, he was one of those 70 disciples that Jesus himself sent out as he walked around Galilee doing all of the missions, sent them out two by two. Barnabas was one of those guys. And somewhere along the line, Barnabas, in his encounters with Jesus, and in his relationship with Paul, shared the truth with Paul. Paul, you got to come. you gotta, you got you to have this encounter with Jesus. You need to follow after this guy. This, this is amazing. This is the Messiah. And Paul says, oh, no. I'm a zealot. And he, at that point, he began to, to persecute the church. Now, skip forward several years as, as that's happening. And then, and then Paul is on the road. Saul is on the road to Damascus. And he has the conversion experience, right? The blinding light. Well, guess who is there as Paul's conversion? Barnabas. As Paul goes and, 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 he gets, and gets prayed for by another Ananias and, and, and gets healed, 
Barnabas is the one who goes and finds Paul and brings him to the rest of the apostles and says, hey, this guy, if this guy can experience Jesus Christ, he will turn the world upside down. This guy knows so much about God's design and God's purposes in the world. He knows so much about the story of God. If he can encounter Jesus, and he has, this will be revolutionary. You guys need to invest in him. And he champions Paul. So they, they kind of say, all right, well, you know, go, go away for a little while. They send Paul off to Tarsus. And, and, and then Barnabas goes to Cyprus and he begins this church. And then along the way, as, as Barnabas is, is, is building up this church, he goes, you know what, I need a partner. I need a, I need a cohort. I need a co-pastor. And so he leaves Cyprus and he goes to Tarshish and he finds Paul and he brings him back and says, come and pastor with me. And the church flourishes, it grows. Because no longer just about what one man can do, but now it's about what a team of people are doing. It's one of the reasons I love our, our church structure here and our senior staff team and, and being able to work with Mark and Eric and Lori and to be able to be a team and to be able to share and to be able to use the gifts that God has given us individually. It doesn't rest on one person because that isn't God's design. For all of us to work together for the body of Christ to each fulfill our necessary parts. Well, last week, Pastor Eric, um, he, he shared about the, the bonds of family and a disciple of Christ follows alongside a family. And we had that wonderful panel of people up here, you know, just kind of sharing some of those relational dynamics of what was going on in their lives working together. Mother and, and son, husband and wife, brother and sister, all of these different kinds of, of relationships. Well, Barnabas also lived this out because another person that he championed was his cousin, John Mark, or Mark, the writer of the Gospel of Mark. And along the way, just like Barnabas went out and found Paul and said, hey, come and do ministry with me. I'm going to live out this truth that I should never be doing ministry alone. I should always Go out and, and, and have a partner in, in God's work in the world. He says, come on, John Mark, come with me and, and do work. And then, and then he and Paul went on the missionary journeys and, and John Mark was with them. And well, when they hit Pamphylia, John Mark, for whatever reason, decided that he was, he was out of there. He abandoned the mission. He deserted them. Maybe he got homesick. Maybe he was tired of the travel. Maybe he got physically ill. Maybe he just got disillusioned. Who knows what happened? We don't know. What we do know is that Paul got very angry at John Mark. Fine, go on home, wuss. <laughs> See you later. Well, a little while later, Barnabas goes to John Mark and says, hey, come on, come and join us again. And Paul wasn't going to have any of it. Paul's like, no way. And this actual, this, this huge contention, this conflict between these two men, these two brothers in Christ started up. And it became so heated that they actually split. Paul says, all right, fine, I'm taking Silas, and we're going over here, and we're doing some missionaries, missionary journey. And, and, and Paul uh, and, and Barnabas and, and, uh, and John Mark, they go off another way. And what happens is in the midst of this contention, the church grows. <laughs> because Barnabas was true to who God had called him to be. All right, I can, I can stick it out with Paul. But that, that's not really who I am. He's, he's, he's doing what God's called him to do. And I, I am not going to abandon John Mark. 
God wants to do some amazing things in him and he needs to be built up and I'm going to be his champion and I'm going to be his encourager and I'm going to go to him. And it doesn't matter. I'm not interested in, in walking alongside the great apostle Paul. I'm going to go and be who God has called me to be. I'm going to do God's work in the church. I'm going to fulfill my necessary part. And he stirs up the gifts of John Mark to the point where he actually contributes to what we have as our, our canonized Bible. And for us, this is part, a key part of what we need to focus our minds and our hearts on in our daily life. What has God called me to do? And Jesus has some commentary on this, and Paul has some commentary on this. So look at a, at a few verses in John and in 1 Corinthians. This is Jesus talking in, in the book of John. He says, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, Four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants and another harvests. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. And Jesus lays out this, this truth that, that every part is necessary. Some of us, we're going to be here, and we're, our job is just to plant seeds. We're just, we're just going out, and, and we're finding, we're encouraging, we're being a champion. We're telling people the truth. We're fulfilling the roles of an of evangelist or apostle someone sent out. We're fulfilling the roles of, of a prophet speaking truth. We're filling the roles of being an encourager or an exhorter. And some of us, we're just reaping the harvest. We're just living our lives, and, and, and for whatever reason, we just seem to be like a spiritual magnet, and people are just flocking to us as we share the light of God, and, and, and other people have planted and done the work without seeing conversion, without seeing discipleship, without seeing people follow Jesus, and now some of us, we're, we're sitting in that place where they, we're just harvesting. We see the potential in people, and we're going, and we're, and we're, and we're drawing them in, and we're, and we're saying, listen, God does have meaning. He does have purpose. Come and be a part of my life. Come and be a part of the life of God. Come and see what God is doing in the world and see how it's consistent with what I'm doing in the world because I'm being who God has called me to be. A disciple of Jesus seeks out and assists others. Well, Paul, as we close here, just has this final commentary. He says, It's not important who does the planning or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seeds grow. The one who plants and the one who waters works together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. It's not just about the doing. It's not just about the vocation. It's about finding the calling. It's about finding some specific thing that God would, has entrusted to you. Now, here at E3, there's a couple of different ways that you can go about that. You can have personal conversations, mentoring conversations, spiritual leader that you trust, go and, go and have some conversations. You can participate in stage classes like Demonstrate where you, you see all the different pieces of how God has wired you up and gifted you so that you can find the, the very natural and supernatural things that God has gifted you with to be able to move forward along those pathways and stir up those gifts. It should also come from our from our following of what Christ's mission is. Because our calling is Christ's calling. 
How do you think Barnabas and Paul were separated to be apostles to the Gentiles? Was it a whim? Was it something in their mind that just kind of sparked? No, it wasn't something that was just about their own feelings or their own desires. It's actually something that came in two areas. One, they aligned their calling with what God's calling was in the world, what Christ's calling was in the world. And then secondly, that calling was confirmed in community. And so they're spending time studying the Word, and in Isaiah 49, some verses that that Paul and Barnabas read before their first missionary journey, sparked their hearts. It says this, And now the Lord speaks, The one who formed me in my mother's womb to be his servant, who commissioned me to bring Israel back to him, the Lord has honored me, and my God has given me strength. He says, You will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. When Paul and Barnabas read that, their hearts leapt. You can read the story in Acts chapters 1 through 15 and kind of the the unfolding story of what is happening and and how they found their calling. But these were verses that were dear to them. They, They had read them, they had studied the scriptures, and God had used that scripture to confirm these words that were written about Jesus Christ himself, that this is what God had called them to be a part of in the world. And I believe that he can do the same thing for us. But they didn't just take it and run. They took it in community and in their daily conversations with people, in their growth groups, in their communion with other believers. Those things, the Spirit of God spoke to all of the believers as a group and said, now is the time for you to set apart Paul and Barnabas to me. Send them out. Just like here at E3, we have the foxes who are part of the local ministry, who are part of being, being student ministry leaders and then the confirmation came and the word of God came. We're going to Uganda. And next month, E3, our community is going to send them out with prayer and with finances. And as a community, we're going to, we're going to send them out to the work that God has set apart for them. But they found that in community. They found that echoed in the voices of the people around them who are followers of Christ. And if we really want to find meaning, if we really want to find purpose, if we really want to find satisfaction, our time is now to move forward in answering the call of God. Let's pray together.